Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Welcome to the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Here on a Friday, it's the first day of April, and I've got a great show. Going to recap the Rapids games last night against the Memphis Americans, and they got a game tonight. Final home game of the season. The NBA season ends April 10th. I'll talk about possible playoff matchups. And with opening day on April 7th, do the Braves look better this year than they were last year. Let's go ahead and start the show. The Columbus Rapids men and women's team were on the pitch last night against the Memphis Americans, and they were both exciting games. The men, however, they were on the pitch first. They lost 4-3 to three in heartbreak fashion, a go-ahead goal right at the 120 mark. And they're already locked into the third seed, and they don't know who their opponent's going to be in the playoffs. The playoffs will start this Saturday And the championship game will be Sunday, April the 3rd. Goals scored by Brandon Cervantes, Sammy Valdivia, and Thomas Eskew. And, you know, the men played hard. Memphis, they were without their two top scorers, Jordy Georgievic and Corey Adamson. They take on Rome today, a team they have beaten three times. So they've been 3-0 against the Rome Gladiators this year, and they will play Rome on military night. The women as well will take on the Rome Gladiators, a team they have yet to beat. But congratulations to the women's team as they defeated Memphis 4-2 to two goals by Casey Hall. She now has nine goals on the season. Emily Burke had a goal, and Megan Byers scored her fourth goal on the season. They take on Rome, and they know that they are going to play the Rome Gladiators in the semifinals of the NISL playoffs up in Fayetteville, which will be a neutral site. That's something to think about because every team will dress 14 players. I've watched many games on the YouTube for NISL, and players that travel on the road have a clear disadvantage, especially when they only suit eight players. But you're allowed to suit up to 12. Not everybody can make the trip for for various reasons. So this has been a fun and exciting season for the NISL. I'm excited because I'm transitioning over to the National Arena League where the Columbus Lions will take on the Jacksonville Sharks on April the 23rd. Training camp will start next week. And they got a fun and exciting team with Mason Espinoza. He was a guest on the podcast that I do with Jared Dillard called The Lions Den. And they're looking to build off of their second-place finish in the NAL last year, losing to the Albany Empire in the championship game. They do have a kicker that they signed that came over from Albany as Craig Peterson will make his debut in a Columbus Lions uniform as he's had a history of kicking around the Arena League. So this weekend... The Columbus River Dragons will have a three-game series against the Beamington Black Bears. They are currently in second place in the Federal Prospects Hockey League with a winning percentage of 6'10". They have a higher winning percentage than the Danbury Hattricks, 
but they have played less games. They currently stand with a record of 27-15-5. Their next home series will be next weekend as they will take on the Port Huron Prowlers on April the 9th, and then they will take on the Carolina Thunderbirds on April the 10th. So that will wrap up the regular season. Then on the 15th and 16th, they will travel on the road to take on the Port Huron Prowlers. The sixth-ranked Columbus State Cougars baseball team is currently 26-5 on the season, 10-2 in the Peach Belt Conference as they get ready for a three-game series against Georgia Southwestern this weekend, starting this Friday in America's Georgia. And you can catch the game on 88.5 WCUG. They will also have a game on Saturday and a game on Sunday. Their next home game will not be until April the 14th on a Thursday against Lander University at Burger King Stadium at Ragsdale Field. Columbus State has really been impressive so far this season, led by Robert Brooks, who has 10 home runs, 48 runs batted in. Steven Minter has 8 home runs and 43 runs batted in. And their pitching has been stellar, led by Noah Windhorst and Devin Dudall. But I tell you what, as impressive as Columbus State baseball has been, I am really impressed with the LaGrange baseball team. As the LaGrange baseball team, currently fourth in the rankings, jumped to 20-3 and overall, 5-1 and in the USA South. They did take two out of three against Covenant. However, they did lose to Oglethorpe, a come-from-behind win from Oglethorpe University, and they lost 9-7. to They will take on Barry College next Tuesday up in in Rome, Georgia, and their next home series will be at Cleveland Field at Williamson Stadium on April 14th, 15th, and 16th against conference foe Piedmont. As I work in LaGrange, I would like to try to get out to a game. Last night in the National Basketball Association, the Atlanta Hawks, despite a scare in the third quarter by Trey Young, as that injury looked a lot worse than I thought. But the Hawks were able to win four straight games, and they are three games above 500. They are in a deadlock race for the final two. They are in a deadlock race for the eighth seed as Charlotte, Brooklyn, and the Hawks all been tussling for the final spots for the play-in games. Atlanta has a big game at State Farm Arena this Saturday against the Brooklyn Nets. And the Hawks are peaking at the right time. They want to try to get into that playing game. You want to try to avoid the 9-10 playing game. If you could try to get into the 8-7 playing game, that gives you an opportunity to get the number 7 seed. Of course, the NBA regular season ends April the 10th. We start the playing games where the number 7 seed will play the 8 seed. And the 9 seed will play the 10 seed. The winner of the 7-8 seed moves on and becomes the 7 seed. The winner of the 8th seed will play the winner of the 9-10 seed for the right to get the number 8 seed. And right now, the Hawks are in a tie with the Charlotte Hornets, the Brooklyn Nets, as the, as the Nets lose to the defending champs in overtime, 120-119. to Such an exciting game last night. The Lakers lose again to the Jazz. They take on the New Orleans Pelicans tonight. They are tied with the San Antonio Spurs for that 10th and final playoff spot as the New Orleans Pelicans are two ahead of the Los Angeles Lakers. 
But the Lakers will get LeBron James and Anthony Davis back from injury as they try to salvage this season. Are the Lakers just going to win out with with LeBron and AD? I mean, they're clearly a different team when LeBron and AD both play. But even with LeBron and AD playing, they still got to play the Suns on the road. They still got to play the Warriors on the road. And they still got to play the Nuggets. It's not a foregone conclusion that the Lakers are going to get in the playoffs. What if the Spurs start getting hot? But if the Lakers do get that 10th seed, at best, they got to win two road games in the play-in tournament just to get the number 8 seed, which means they would play the Phoenix Suns. So far in the NBA, I've been impressed with the Memphis Grizzlies. They win the Southwest Division for the first time in franchise history. They are locked into the number 2 seed. And an impressive stat is that they are 18-2 and two without Job Morant. That means that Taylor Jenkins is doing a great job as head coach, and they have a lot of depth. They got a lot of depth on their team. I think that Memphis, at the least, could get to the Western Conference Finals to take on the Phoenix Suns. They did go to the Western Conference Finals back in 2013, but they were swept by the San Antonio Spurs. Hopefully... They could, hopefully they could go a little bit further. But Taylor Jenkins has been doing a phenomenal job as head coach for the Memphis Grizzlies. You have Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson, who's up for all defense. You have the play of Steven Adams crashing the board. He's averaging 10 rebounds a game. So that trade for uh, Jonas Valanciunas for Steven Adams is starting to become pretty good. Tyus Jones and Brandon Clark coming off the bench. I mean, you got some good players. I got two guests on the show that are big Memphis Grizzlies fans. I followed the Grizzlies franchise. I remember the glory days of, I'm going to take it way back, the glory days of Pau Gasol when they made the playoffs from 2003 to 2006. Hubie Brown was their coach. Mike Fratello was their coach. But then the run they had from 2010 to 2017 with Lionel Hollins, Dave Jerger, and Dave Fisdale, Mike Conley Jr., Tony Allen, Mark Gasol, Zach Randolph. They had such an incredible team. And back in 2013, they reached the Western Conference Finals as they had a 56-26 record. They were able to beat the Clippers in the first round in six games. And then they beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then they were able to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder in the conference semifinals. That was such a special team. They just ran into a dynasty in the San Antonio Spurs. Rudy Gay was also on that team. So you had Mike Conley Jr. You had Tayshaun Prince, Tony Allen. You had defense. You had balance, physical attack with Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley. And I also think in 2015, they played the Warriors tough. They were a very physical team going up against the Warriors. But this Memphis Grizzlies team is special because John Morant is a game changer, one of the best players in the NBA and they have a lot of depth. What does that tell you about the Grizzlies? That just tells you they have good coaching. Taylor Jenkins should be a candidate for coach of the year. So let's get it done. That, that's got to be a done deal. Major League Baseball will kick off April the 7th. The Atlanta Braves named a starter. Max Freed will be the opening day starter. Still not going to have Ronald Acuna Jr. in the lineup, but I'm projecting that the starting lineup for the Atlanta Braves is going to be Starting with the infield, Austin Riley at third, Dansby Swanson at short, Ozzie Albies at second, and 
Matt Olson at first. The catcher is going to be Travis Darno. Your starting pitchers. This is I'm just guessing because uh, Mike Soroka is not going to be ready until July. Your starters are going to be Max Fried, Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton. You could say maybe Tuki Toussaint, Husakar Yona. Uh, Jared Wright has a has a shot at becoming a fifth starter. And then the outfield gets a little tricky. Acuna Jr. is going to be out until May in the field. I think he's going to come back as a designated hitter by the end of April. But you have Alex Dickerson, newly signed Adam Duvall. Marcelo Zuna is going to be the designated hitter. And then you also have Eddie Rosario that they re-signed. So the Braves look really good. Are they the favorites to win the NL East? All year last year, the Philadelphia Phillies had the lead, but then they tumbled down the stretch. The New York Mets got better with the signing of Max Scherzer. And, of course, they have Jacob deGrom. You got two aces in the top of your starting lineup. You got two aces in the top of your starting rotation. That is going to be dangerous. And uh, don't count out the Washington Nationals as they still have Steven Strasburg. They still have Juan Soto. And uh, we're not sure what the Miami Marlins are going to (laughs) do. So that game, April the 7th against the Cincinnati Reds at Truett's Park, that is going to be just a sight to see as the Braves will reveal their 2021 World Championship banner and they will pass out the World Series rings. If you are a Braves fan, that has got to be a sight to see. I had Justin Dale on the podcast a couple weeks ago. He is a lifelong Braves fan. That was such a great podcast where he went down memory lane and talked about that run that the Braves had. And it was a very good run for the Atlanta Braves. If you look at what they did after 2014 in some rebuilding years, you know clearly when they had the transition from Bobby Cox to Freddie Gonzalez from 2010 to 2011, the Braves got criticism in 2011 for for collapsing towards the end of the season. There's a, a run-around joke about the Braves in September baseball. It's not good. Then in 2012, the controversial infield fly rule with Anderson Simmons against the Cardinals. They just could not get out of their own way, lost to the Dodgers in 13. 14, they were competitive, but that was when they dumped Jason Hayward. That was a very puzzling move they traded away Jason Hayward for Shelby Miller to the Cardinals for Shelby Miller which that trade later turned into Dansby Swanson so it turned out pretty good for the Braves but the Braves had three seasons that were just awful it was just a rebuilding year in 2016 Freddie Gonzalez was fired after finishing 9 and 28 but Brian Stinker had a 59-65 record. He actually did pretty good with what they had. I mean, I'm looking at the 2016 Atlanta Braves. This was their lineup. Catcher Tyler Flowers, first baseman Freddie Freeman, second baseman Jace Peterson, shortstop Eric Ibar, third baseman Adonis Garcia. Okay, they did have Matt Kemp. He was a former MVP, but he was past his prime. He was in left field. Ender Inciarte. And then Nick Markakis. Here is the pitching staff that the Braves had. Julio Tehran was good. I mean, even though he was 7 10, he had a 3 2 1 earned run average. Matt Whistler, Mike Fultonevich, 
Aaron Blair and Williams Perez. Their closer was Jim Johnson. This clearly was a rebuilding team in 2016. That was the final year at Turner Field before they moved to Truett's Park, used to be called SunTrust Park, in 2017. That was the goal to get a world championship, and the Braves did it. Now, how are they going to repeat it? Are they going to compete once again for the World Series? I think they will, but they're going to have some challenges along the way because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Los Angeles Dodgers are still the same Dodgers team, even without Max Scherzer now that he's on the Mets. But if Trevor Bauer gets cleared from his situation, he'll be back in the starting rotation and they have a very underrated pitcher that was a 20-game winner last year, Julio Urias. Of course, Walker Bueller is going to compete for the earned run average spot in the National League. And the Dodgers have Freddie Freeman. They could actually put Max Muncy at designated hitter. They're getting Justin Turner back. They have the former MVP, Cody Bellinger, and former MVP, Mookie Betts. And they have the talented shortstop, Gavin Lux. Not to mention unsung heroes from the postseason that may not get a whole lot when it comes to payroll, but Will Smith, Chris Taylor, and A.J. Pollock have been contributing stars for the Dodgers. So when manager Dave Roberts guaranteed that they're going to win the World Series, I mean, that's a little bold, but the Dodgers are the clear favorites to win the World Series. I would like to see what they do in their bullpen. Kenley Jansen is no longer there. He's an Atlanta Brave, but they still have Blake Trident and Bruzdar Gratterall. They still have some great arms. I had to actually go back and see just what they did against the Braves in the NLCS, and it was clearly fatigue as the Giants took them to the brink as the Dodgers beat the Giants in five games. I got to tell you, we got a Final Four coming up this weekend. I am excited because for the first time ever, Duke and North Carolina will meet in the Final Four. They have never met in the postseason of the NCAA tournament. And clearly, two conference opponents try to be in different sides of the bracket. So the only time they would meet is maybe in the Final Four. They do that on purpose. There was a time when it was close. In 1991, North Carolina was number one seed. Duke was a number three seed. Duke won the championship that year. North Carolina lost in the Final Four to Kansas. So this time around, you have Villanova taking on Kansas. That is the first matchup. One thing about Villanova, Jay Wright is an incredible coach. What Villanova has done, especially the run he had from 2016 to 2018. So there was three seasons where Villanova was on top. They were a number one seed three times and a number two seed. Jay Wright's record, in those four years, were 33 and 3, 35 and 5, 32 and 4, and 36 and 4. Villanova won two national titles during that span. And what Jay Wright has done at Villanova has been incredible. I mean, two titles. I mean, they have three total. Of course, they are famous for winning the national title in 1985, one of the greatest upsets in sports history. Now let's move on to Kansas. Because Kansas has not won an NCAA title since 2008. Many of you remember the Mario Chalmers shot. But Bill Self, what he has done since he took over in 2003 is make it to the tournament every year. And Kansas is at least 
a number four seed. He's been a number one seed nine times. This will be Bill Self's fourth appearance in the Final Four. Of course, he won it in 2008, lost the national final in 2012. Remember, that was that Kentucky team that was just amazing. Kansas went back to the Final Four in 2018 where they lost to Villanova, the eventual champions. So yes, this is going to be a rematch of the 2018 Final Four. Now let's look at North Carolina. North Carolina has a total of six titles. I mean, nobody expected North Carolina to be here as they weren't even ranked in the top in the final top 25. There were times this season that North Carolina was considered a bubble team led by head coach first year head coach Hubert Davis. North Carolina struggled at times, but they found their way and they're peaking at the right time. North Carolina last won the national title in 2017. They made it to the championship game against Villanova in 16, and they lost in the Final Four in eight, but they won. So in the last 20 years, they won a championship in 16, in 2009, and in 2005. Remember, that was that, that, was that game where North Carolina beat heavy favorite Illinois. Well, they were a number one seed that year. I mean, they had some great players. But Hubert Davis, in his first year, 28-9. North Carolina had some bad losses this year. They lost to teams they were supposed to lose to. They had two road contests where they lose to Miami and Wake Forest. They lose to Duke. They lose to Pittsburgh at home. That was a that was a tough loss. And then losing to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament. But the run they're having right now is a pretty good run. And so North Carolina, which are considered an underdog to Duke, Duke has got to be the odds-on favorite to win the NCAA title and give Coach K his sixth championship and sending him out on a high note. All right, so with the Masters starting on April the 7th and running all the way to Sunday, April 10th, I will talk about the Masters next week. There is a chance that Tiger Woods might even play. Now, it's crazy to think, especially after the accident over a year ago that was a career-ending injury, I thought that Tiger Woods' career was finished, but he really wants to play at Augusta. He knows the course well, as, of course, he won the Masters in 2019. He has not played competitive golf in over 500 days. That would be an amazing story if Tiger Woods just shows up at the Masters and attempts to play. He doesn't even have to do well. If he attempts to play, that would be an amazing story. And, of course, the TV ratings double when Tiger Woods is playing in any major tournament. Say what you want about golf, because I I am a golf fan. I play golf. I like some of the golfers like Ricky Fowler and Zach Johnson and Jordan Spieth. I mean, there's some good golfers out there, Tony Finau. But Tiger Woods was built differently. I mean, he's the GOAT. He's got 15 majors. I mean, he was on pace to surpass Jack Nicholas with his 18 majors, and things happened along the road. He had a very long, winless streak of majors from 2008 to 2018. So there was a 10-year period where Tiger Woods did not win any majors. It's pretty impressive to think of his career and where he has gone. And of course, Phil Mickelson's not going to play in the Masters. I would love to see Tiger Woods go up against Phil Mickelson. That would be a sight to see. 
Well, the United States men's soccer team finally did it. They qualify for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar that will start in November. The United States took on Costa Rica on Wednesday. All they had to do was avoid a 6-0 loss. They lost 2-0, and so they qualify for the World Cup. It is a great accomplishment, but was it expected? You know, the United States men's team was ranked as high as number 8 in the FIFA rankings for all the national teams. Costa Rica is finishing fourth place. Costa Rica's got to take on New Zealand to try to even get in this World Cup. We might have four teams in CONCACAF. Canada makes it into the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Of course, Mexico has always been one of the odds-on favorites in CONCACAF. But how is the United States going to fare in the World Cup? Because in 2022, it's going to be in Qatar. Remember, the United States hosts the World Cup in 2026. So they are guaranteed to be in the next World Cups, the next two World Cups. This is a special team. They have not played in the World Cup since 2014. I remember it was in Brazil. I know that they once had Landon Donovan. He was their star player. But there is something different about Christian Pulisic. And I I really want to have Eric Taylor on the podcast. He has always been a, a beacon of light when it comes to international soccer. But let's take it back. And remember, the United States will be a co-host in 2026 with Canada and Mexico. How is the qualification going to work in CONCACAF when you got the top three teams in CONCACAF hosting the World Cup? All right, so they didn't qualify. So 2014, they made it to the round of 16 where they lost to Belgium 2-1. to one. But you've had goal scorers like Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, Excellent goalkeeping by Tim Howard. But remember, United States beat Ghana. Ghana was their foe that they had a hard time with. They beat Ghana. They were in the group of death. They tied Portugal, and they lost to Germany 1-0. They were able to advance because of the goal differential between them and Portugal, and they lost to Belgium. If you look back at the 2010 World Cup, they tied England, they tied Slovenia, and they beat Algeria 1-0. They were able to advance, actually finish first in their group stage, but they lost to Ghana 2-1. 2006, they lose to the Czech Republic 3-0. They tie Italy, and they lose to Ghana 2-1. So Ghana gave the United States trouble in two World Cups. Now let's go back to 2002. This is the furthest they've ever been. They went to the quarterfinals and lost to the eventual champion, Germany. They beat Portugal 3-2. They tied South Korea, and they lost to Poland 3-1. They were able to advance as South Korea advanced as they finished first. The United States beat Mexico 2-0, and they lost to Germany 1-0. All right. 1998, Germany beats them 2 nothing. The last time the United States just pretty much fell on their face in the World Cup was in 1998. Lost to Germany 2-0. They lost to Iran 2-1. And they lost to Yugoslavia 1-0. I know that in 2006, they did not advance to the group stage. But they were playing a very tough Italy team. And they tied Italy. And they lost to Ghana. I mean... That was tough. And then losing to the Czech Republic, that was... So 2006 was a very disappointing World Cup. 
1994 was the year they hosted. They lost to Brazil one nothing. I remember I was in high school when they beat Colombia two to one on the own goal by Andres Escobar. And of course they qualified in 1990. They didn't do well, including to Czechoslovakia five to one. Whew. So that was a big deal when the United States qualified for the World Cup in 1990 because the last time they were in the World Cup was 1950. Oh, you gotta love World Cup. Uh, United States. Hopefully they can get out of their group. The goal is to make it to the round of 16. If they make it to the round of eight, that's even better. A dream come true would be for them to make it to the semifinals and they have to play in a third place game. That would be incredible. If they can make it to the semifinals, that would be a goal to have. And they have the striker to do it. Christian Pulisic is really an international player. I mean, he won championships for Chelsea. Well, that was a fun show. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, Stay tuned for next week's shows. I hope everybody has a great weekend, and I will see you then. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. If you would like to hear more of this podcast, you can download the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is broadcasted out of Columbus, Georgia, and focuses on the local and national sports scene. I am Richard Holdridge. If you have a sports question or if you would like to be a guest on the show, just inbox me on my Facebook page, The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge, or on my Twitter feed. And as always, I hope that you have a blessed day. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been the Sports Beat with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.